All right, Christian Ivanko, Dominic Rizzi. Uh, we're here for another episode of Talking TV, and it's, we're still talking about TV. Chris, I'm like, can we, can we just like put, put a pin in this in the fact that like, it's I think it's safe to say you got your wish as far as 2020 goes. Yeah, I mean, whether I was, uh, you know, asking for it or not, we really put the TV in the name this year. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's but, well, it's, it's kind of like you know. par, it's kind of par for the course as far as like just where everything was going in general. Uh, let's just say the coronavirus pretty much sped that up. But it's no more is I think where kind of really that whole discussion of that though. I mean. <sighs> Well, think about it. I, I mean, mean where, where was it really going before well, that? Because we had films well, like well, Fantasy Island the last few months we were, and, and onward well, the last few months we went to theaters. Well, it was gonna go in the well. It was gonna go in the direction as far as just only the big budget spectacles would be in theaters, and then everything else was going yeah. to streaming. It was, we were pretty much already in that spot, and then Corona just like wiped out mm -hmm. all the blockbusters. That was pretty much it. Like we were pretty much already in that direction. It's just kind of Corona forced us off of the one onto the other. But like, I feel like Nevermore has the time to discuss kind of the breaking down of the lines between what defines a movie versus what defines a TV show. Uh, never, never before has there been a better time to talk about that than now, because that's a discussion that's kind of been happening for the last couple of years now. Obviously, with Prestige TV, and then after that, kind of the turn to more shorter, much more concise, shortened stories, the introduction of anthology shows, and then the last couple of years, these miniseries that have been playing out more like these kind of extended movies overall, Escape at Danamora, Chernobyl, and When They See Us are three most recent examples of that. But what we have here today is a beast that, in addition to topping all of that, is ranked number one on Netflix, has been so for two months, and, but Chris, I have a little bit of a bone to pick, because goddammit, we still have no fucking metric of success for that. What is it that makes it number one? What is it? Like, I have no idea. Like, just, what, most watched thing on Netflix? How would we know that? We don't know. Yeah. It's so true. They, they really it's could just really be annoying. them. It could just be them having, like, an internal advertising system. Where it's like, hey, we, we put up this arbitrary number system. People gravitate to it because there's rankings now. Look at YouTube, right? Everyone loves rankings. So if you pay us for the top slot, we'll keep you in there for X amount of time. It could be an auction thing like that. Like a bidding for, uh, you know, advertisement bids are a real thing. Who knows what I mean, Netflix I, those... Uh, I mean, I guess, tyrants. but it's like... Oh my God. I mean, I guess it's just like, it's really annoying because, I mean, we talked about it on our Netflix episode a million years ago. And it's so annoying how they could just have something come out and have it just be like top of the world and absolutely talked about and have it be about fucking chess of all things. I like I look at it and I'm like, only Netflix. Netflix has officially become to be like the Blumhouse of streaming services in the sense of like, I want to get rid of it so badly because they're slowly stripping away everything from fr from it that makes it enjoyable to me personally. And then every once in a while, they throw me a bone and I'm like, God damn it. I have to stay invested. Like they gave me, like they gave us this. They gave me Umbrella Academy season two, which by no means was I expecting that to be good. They gave me Transformers, the, the, the War for Cybertron animated show in the same year that they axed Glow and effectively axed Mindhunter, two of the best shows of the last decade. <laughs> so yeah I, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm considering my relationship I'll, I'll with Netflix to be them in, very much in the abusive category, but yeah, I'm, not, um, I'm never gonna forgive him for what they did to Glow. No. That's just, oh my god, it's that's that's, that's unforgivable. For. That's, that's uncalled uh, no, for. It's not. It's not. It's uncalled. It's unforgivable. Is what it is. Yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. But we're not here to air our dirty laundry with Netflix. Even though we're gonna do that literally every time we it's have a Netflix property to talk Let's about. Be honest. <laughs> 
Oh, it will always, it will, it will forever continue to be aired. Uh, we're talking about the yeah. Queen's Gambit, people. Uh, again, the seven-episode Netflix miniseries that took the world by storm. I just got to check because I literally forgot how long it's been since this show came out. My phone will cooperate with me. Yeah, I think it's been me. about a month, if I'm remembering October correctly. October 23rd. October 23rd. Yeah. Okay. So if I'm remembering correctly, that puts this a week after when we covered Blind Manor. So October 23rd. We are on the last day of November, November 30th, and this thing is still ranked number one on Netflix. It's been number one for a month. Netflix only recently started doing rankings, so does this, like, match any sort of statistic? Is that, like, uncommon or uncalled for, or, like, has this been done before? This is just, like, the latest in the trend. This is, this is like, the only thing that I, like, didn't have time to do research on. I mean, if it is a first, uh, again, we don't know what that means. It could just be a marketing right. ploy. I mean, I don't think yeah, it is. You know I, what? I, I You're believe right. the consensus is that it's, you know, most amount of viewership and how long it can sustain that. Therefore, it's like a power ranking where if it holds the views for as long as it holds the views. But who knows? Because it's Netflix and we just this year for the first time got their numbers on the most watched movies. After they've yeah, been a company for, for, for what eight years or something, original yeah, content yeah, but for again, five. But even, but even that you can't you can't take seriously because they that was only their current numbers for at the time, and also we didn't know yeah. how old those numbers were, and those numbers have probably changed fifteen million times in a couple of months. That those kinds of numbers probably yeah. vary like on a daily basis. So I, 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 it might I just can't. come down to a pure laziness standpoint as far as them wanting to release it. Here's what I do know. I know that when Cobra Kai held number one for a little while, people were talking about it a lot. And I know that right. this show, people have been talking about a lot. So I assume it's what we guess to be true. But, you know, Netflix doesn't want certainty, it seems. Uh, you know, just look I, at their stock lately. Yeah, so. yeah that, that's a fact. I think it's just funny <laughs> but, that uh, Netflix... I, 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 feel like the, the, I feel like the thing that we can say about Netflix that pretty much sums them up as a company is that the new metric of success for them is word of mouth, which I feel like should have become mm -hmm. pretty much common sense like a lot of, a lot long a long time ago, but it's only something now that we're just starting to become aware of. But yeah. Queen's Gambit. So this show comes out a month ago. It's, a, it, it, it's, it's, it's so weird because it was one of those things where when I was looking at it, I'm like, okay, this looks pretty cool. But at the same time, you know, you know me with Netflix properties. I had that level of skepticism where I'm like, okay, every time I go into something with Netflix, there's a very thin marginal that it's going to be okay. It's either going to be great or it's going to be really, really bad. And mm -hmm. I guess I really, really underestimated. I don't even remember if I watched the trailer for this, but I guess I really underestimated, again, just how hard that word of mouth had spread. Because, Chris, remember on our Netflix episode, we were kind of talking about how whenever we hear about a show... We always have to pay attention to who is recommending it to us. And based on that person, we have to take it with a grain of salt. That's why it's just become so hard to like just recommend anything today because everyone's kind of got their own niche that they watch based on what the algorithm recommends to them. Yeah, 100%. It's, uh, yeah. it's, so, it's not us even uh, you know hypothesizing. That's just a fact. So. Yeah, that's just how it goes now. But the interesting thing about this show is that this was the first show that kind of checked all the boxes where about, I'm going to say a month, because not a lot of people were talking about this when it first dropped. People usually never do. But I, I'd say, like, about, like, two, I'll give it this two weeks after this first dropped. All of a sudden, I'm hearing my coworkers talk about it. I'm hearing my parents talk about it. I'm hearing people on Facebook talk about it in film mm -hmm. groups and regular. And I'm like, whoa, what is going on here? Like, what, the last, like, when was the last time people were talking or just having this unanimous of an opinion on just a show in general? And then I started listening to the rewatchables and their covering of it, specifically Chris Ryan on the watch. And the way that he was talking about the show, I'm like, 
Oh, okay. So Netflix fucked me over again as far as, again, with their lack of marketing, didn't make me realize just what a treat I was in for. Because people, let me tell you, in order to kind of sum up my intro before we transition into the actual discussion about the show itself, this is kind of, I, th- I think that in addition to the overall quality of the show, um, the th- this show I think is going to be the perfect uh, launching point for kind of what the future of media is going to look like, if that makes any sense. Kind of does. Uh, you could certainly elaborate but i'm sure we'll get into it as we uh, well, I mean, yeah, begin our discussion into in, this so. yeah i mean we're gonna get into it in a little bit but so kind of to get into a little bit of the origin of kind of where this came from it's based off of a 1983 novel by walter tevis uh if i'm remembering correctly a little bit of the origin story behind this is um tevis after writing two very successful novels ended up uh caving into the pressure going down to mexico and just drinking and playing chess every day and that's how he kind of came up for the idea of it, which if you see it in there, it kind of makes a lot of sense just as far as everything that's kind of presented in the show overall. But show is conceived and developed by Scott Frank and Alan Scott. Scott Frank, who's got a laundry list of a filmography. He's got an extensive career both in film and in television. As far he as did what a movie that you and I went and saw it together. Oh, he's done many, many movies. He's worked a lot with... Um, What's it called? He's worked a lot with uh, Aaron Sorkin. Uh, his credits, some of his credits include Malice, Get Shorty, Out of Sight, Minority, uh, Minority Report for Steven Spielberg, um, The Wolverine, and co-writer on Logan. Uh, famously, got an Oscar nomination for it, very rightfully so. And as for his work on television, so he directed uh, an episode of, so he directed and produced a couple episodes of Shameless. But the big thing for him that I didn't realize, and it's one of those things where I'm like, damn, it kind of makes me regret that I didn't watch any of his previous work. Was 2017, he did a miniseries called Godless, which was a western. It was one of those mm-hmm. things that looked. It was one of those things that, again, we've all talked about it, we've all seen it. It looked really good, but at the time, I was just too busy with other shows, and I just did not get a chance to get to it. And I'm like, damn. It looked really good, but it kind of just floated out of my mind. And then when I saw this, and I saw the name attached to it, and then I realized what was behind it, I'm like, oh, god damn it. It was one of those things that slipped under my radar as to how I should have assumed that it was great. And the problem is it still is on me, because Anya Taylor-Joy starring in anything is not something to be taken lightly, considering the fact that the girl's got relatively, I think actually exclusively no duds. And the few that she does are not her fault. Obviously, the only real does that I'd attribute to her filmography are Morgan, which was just an all-around misfire that she did when she was still up and coming. Um, Glass, which was, again, not her fault. And um, uh, The New Mutants, which, problematic as that movie is, she's the best part about that movie. So, um, what's it called? But her filmography includes The Witch, which you and I already have our thoughts on that as far as how great that movie is. Split, phenomenal. which yeah. is phenomenal. Thoroughbreds, the most underrated and unwatched great cult, cult hit of 2018 uh, by my favorite debut director from that year, Corey Finley. And um, what's it called? And, uh, and now this on Netflix. And also, just to keep in mind as far as how much she, this girl is still working, she's got two upcoming films next. She is set to co-star in Edgar Wright's upcoming horror time travel film Last Night in Soho, as well as Robert Eggers' next movie, Postal Lighthouse, that being The Northman, which will be set in Ireland. And which is going to be awesome. And, you know, she's only 24, so, uh, you know, to have this many hits on her resume, it's if you don't know why that's impressive, then you think about her age and you're like, God damn, she's a force to be reckoned with. It's safe to say that the girl has got a very, very long and hopefully very promising career in front of her just based on the choices that she's made so far. And if we're talking about her in just this show exclusively, the thing that that I appreciate about her as a performer is the fact that 
She's one of the few performers in our generation of actors, as in actors at our age, in that she's able to, besides just actually holding the screen, which again, very few actors can actually do now, um, and actually like having charm and charisma and a personality. She's one of the actors out there, which again, is it's very, very rare nowadays. You really don't see this a lot. You saw this with a lot more, obviously the 70s was a staple for this. You saw this kind of go away with the 80s and 90s and stuff. But she's one of those actors that can say everything without saying a single word. Just the way she just the way she corners her eyes, the way like kind of her overall China doll complexion. There's just something about her body language that exudes exactly what it is that she's thinking without saying a word. That's something that I can attribute exclusively to her because I've seen that from every one of her performances in the last four years. But I think the reason why she herself is so helped by how good this material is specifically for this show is that this is a show... I don't even know like why I'm calling it a show because it's just I, I we need to come up with a new term for this type of stuff. It's something it's that serious, man. A limited in addition, series. Yeah. I don't even want to call it that though. Um in addition to playing to her strengths individually, it also kind of complements them by providing more of a well-rounded experience, for lack of a better word. And I guess this is where I kind of want to jump ship and talk about the actual structure of this show. Sure. In this Before sense- you do that, though, we do yeah. have some people in the chat. And, uh, you know, we wouldn't be here without them. So uh, let's welcome them in, you know. Certain vids. What is going on, my friend? Good to see you. Of course, Jay. The man, Manly. What's going on, bud? And Has Jay missed face. a single one of our shows? Yeah, yeah. Jay's a, he's a good dude, man. I love having yeah. him around. And... Nur hilarious four one five. Hey, welcome. Yellow to you as well, my friend. Good. To, I think it's uh, actually supposed to be. Is it supposed to be Mister? But like, was that a clever twist? Because it's an N. So is it like Mister? I think is is that what that's supposed to stand for? I don't dude, know. Keep, I'm, I'm just just keep calm and 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 love turtle on. I suppose, Dom. So <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the show today, guys. Where uh, if you don't know, if you're just joining us right now, we are talking about Netflix's newest smash hit, Queen's Gambit. So yeah. So. So you want to jump into the show structure? I think we have to. Yeah, so seven episodes, right? We've seen that before. We've seen, obviously, just the the idea of the miniseries in general is kind of taking on this whole new life, this whole new form of existence just in the modern day kind of television landscape. You know, obviously, you have things like American Horror Story and Fargo, which champion the anthology format. True Detective tried and kind of failed with that. Obviously, the shorter kind of idea of the television experience has been a thing for a couple of years now with television shortening to a much needed, in my opinion, eight to ten episode range. But what's interesting is that in the last couple of years alone, you're getting these miniseries, right? Now, miniseries were always kind of an interesting phenomenon, right? They always kind of they, – they, they always kind of had – the an idea of what they were trying to go for, but they never really had their place because they could never really fit into kind of the traditionalist TV model. But obviously now with the changing up of obviously attention spans and just overall just the massive amount of fluidity when it comes to storytelling in general, miniseries definitely have a lot more of a place now. And you're and what's interesting is that with kind of the exodus of all these creators that have gone from the feature film format to the to the long form storytelling format, they're finding just all sorts of new ways to experiment around and kind of go in and take chances and risks on the stories that studios are just not taking risks on. But that's old news, right? We knew that. That's been the story of like the last couple of years now. So what is it that kind of sets these last couple apart? Well, obviously it's, for one thing, um, the idea of celebrity, you know, just take the last couple of years alone, Chernobyl, which is developed by uh, Johan Rank. Um, and, uh, Michael, I, forgot, I can't remember the name of that guy, but it's a, it is a big guy. Uh, Ben Stiller, obviously doing Escape of Danamora. Um, 
Ava DuVernay famously going right from her most recent Oscar nomination on Selma to When They See Us directly on Netflix. So you've been, and, and now obviously with Scott Frank with his first uh, work with Derek, with um, Godless. There's a lot of other examples that I'm not remembering off the top of my head, but kind of you've been seeing this kind of exodus happen for a while now. But with those kind of most recent examples that I just listed off, those are really when you started to see, okay, this is just not like you watch this one week for like a regular episode of television. For one thing, they announce ahead of time that it's going to be a limited series so you know you're going to get an ending not in like after a couple of weeks and then have to wait a year for the next season you're like you know that at the end of these next couple of weeks you are going to get an ending so that already kind of puts a little bit more of a it kind of forces the writers to kind of focus a little bit more on the storytelling and how enhanced and tension filled they want it to be in order to keep the viewers in order to keep the viewers attached but in addition to that it allows them to kind of break up the traditional eight sequence structure format when it comes to original feature film storytelling and kind of spread that out across multiple episodes of television. It was the thing that I think everyone tried to give Stranger Things credit for, and I'll get the first season credit for this, but then Stranger Things kind of weirdly kind of took that and just lapsed it into kind of what would define the Netflix television show format. But with these other miniseries, it's been really impressive to see where it's like, okay, so now, in addition to kind of what I've been expecting, which is kind of a feature film of the week, we're getting kind of getting a feature film of the week that factors into the greater overall experience where even more so now than ever, you can take an individual episode, watch it like a movie, and then once you get to the net, and then once you finish with the show overall, you can go back and watch it all together as kind of one overall experience. And that's something to me that... Uh, obviously, kind of feature film has accomplished it with the MCU, kind of, sort of, but that functions obviously a little bit differently, both in terms of story and just what overall what it's setting out to accomplish. But I think that the reason why the Queen's Gambit is so talked about, both obviously amongst regular people and the community, is that Netflix, I think, weirdly enough, was in the position to do that the best because Netflix obviously is still sticking to their old school model of dropping all the episodes at once as opposed to doing it week to week like pretty much everybody else is doing. So with that... Again, the, the whole thing about that is that it leaves it up to the viewer's choice. But because of that, you can now kind of get The Queen's Gambit as an episodic overall format. Or you can get The Queen's Gambit kind of, the for lack of a better word, the full-length storytelling experience. And the fact that you can kind of experience that in both ways and get a simultaneous experience from it is new, to say the least. And it, it's frankly very interesting. And it's frankly the direction that I've been not waiting, but kind of looking forward to for certain stories for a while now. What, in the regards to them having limited series as of, as of late? Well, well, just in terms of, like, kind of what, just where the future of the storytelling function, you know, goes for both movies and TV, you know? I've kind of been, like, but we, we've kind of seen, like, almost every which way as far as how they can experiment around with the different methods kind of in the traditional formats for both. And now this is kind of, like, really taking it and continuing to experiment with that overall. Yeah, I can, I can see that. It's, uh, you know, it's one of those things where every now and then there comes a show that you're thankful that they upload it uh, every, every uh, all at once as opposed to once a week. Because, I mean, we've kind of complained a lot about the whole Netflix model on this show, and I don't kind of roll any of those arguments back. But Me with neither. this show being something that, A, I never expected to like as much as I did, just wanting to just dive into the next one, I probably would have gotten something out of this type of show either way because it's just one of those shows that if you watch it, like for example, Jay here says he's yet to watch it, but like growing up, him and his dad played chess. So you already have a deeper appreciation to it than I did. You know, I, I just went into it because we planned on covering it for the show and I was like, Anya Taylor-Joy, sure, I'm going to give this a shot, right? I feel like that's how a lot of people kind of operate in regards to, uh, you know, the ease of access with it being on Netflix and whatnot. 
but but it's like the kind of show where it could have aired once a week on HBO, and I would have probably been equally as you know uh, enamored by it. But the fact that I kind of got to eat my own words here and just dive right into the next one, and then the next one, then the next one, and then it's last next thing I know, I start at eleven a.m. on a Saturday, and it's you know six p.m. and I have two episodes left, and it's just a whole day goes by. It's so enjoyably. It's you know sometimes there is. <laughs> a benefit to uh, the Netflix model. And it's it's tough because there are some shows that Netflix has put out that I think are better served week to week. But it's so hit or miss with what streaming service picks this uh, these shows up and, and chooses to release them. But yeah, no, I, I do agree that it's like, I still stand by everything I said about the Netflix model and how it, you know, kind of just propels this constant, constant moving society, this goldfish mind that we've all kind of developed where everyone's attention span is just super tiny and we can't focus on anything for more than like two days and then the next hashtag trend comes along and we're onto it. But uh, sometimes it's great, like in regards to this show. So, and I'm glad that you brought up the HBO argument because, again, like watching this, I'm like, wait, how did this not end up on HBO? This is something that I feel like would be like much more so, like, kind of um, synonymous with their content than anything on Netflix. Like, even just watching it, like, just take the just take the aesthetic look of it. Even with mm-hmm. the, I can spot the net. It's the first Netflix thing that I've seen in a while where I don't directly spot the Netflix isms, which is something that they've definitely <laughs> been getting better about yeah. in the last couple. Of, you, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. The, like the very shiny, glossy look, kind of the the, the faux David Fincher esque shooting style. Totally. Even though it's very it clear that David that, Fincher I doesn't thought. shoot it, it had none of mm-hmm. that. Like the actual, there was actual thought put into the shots and compositions. The the the, the set design alone was impeccable like just as far as constructing the time period i haven't seen set design that good since for a period piece since mad men it was really good yeah mad men's a good comparison you know let me just bring this up before we get too far away from this whole netflix versus other streaming service discussions i find that with the netflix limited series that i've watched the uh the last one of note being black earth rising uh starring john goodman uh it's um a really really intense heavy um limited series that came out i think in 2018 now and I found that it didn't have the Netflix isms either, and it was kind of a dish best served uh, cold in the sense that I could just go from one to the next to the next to the next. Whereas, like, I wouldn't have to wait each week. I was just like, you know, it's like, oh man, like, it's just I don't want to wait for this show, and it's weird. Like sometimes Netflix works, and I find that they work in the limited series, which is this little tiny bubble of an experiment that I'm getting. It's great binging a limited series. And that might be to your overall point. Here's why I bring this up because they feel more like movies because you know, there's not a part two, you know, there's not a third, fourth, fifth. It's just, this is it. It's going to live in this era, in this decade, and it's going to live and die by the word of mouth and the legacy it leaves behind. And now it's off to the races and will Queens Gambit be spoken about in five years? It's up to us now. That that will be the testament. Yeah. That will be the testament to whether this show lives on. Because, again, it's the, the sad fact is that not many people are going to be talking about it for the reasons that I'm talking about it as far as it being revolutionary. But as far as like kind of going back to like kind of the individual aspects, just the technical aspects of what made the show great, another big thing that I wanted to talk about besides Annie Taylor-Joy specifically is just the acting in general. Because the thing that I noticed immediately about all the performances is that it didn't feel like showy TV acting, obviously. Like it wasn't like typical Netflix soap opera bullshit. But it also wasn't like... Not showy, that's not the word that I want to use. It's it felt very withheld. And the reason why I go with withheld, not subdued, is because the show does have its fair share of over-the-top moments. But like I'm so used to like kind of the idea of subdued kind of being misconstrued and misunderstood and usually misrepresented. There were a lot of misses that were presented there. But <laughs> like the thing that I notice about these characters is that they're not 
They're not subdued in the fact of they feel like they're holding something back because they have to. They're subdued because that's what the character work and the scripts call for. And the and it's actually like, you know, playing to what do you know what is most good things should do? Actors strength. And the cast of this show assembled around her is actually fairly impressive too. Just the amount of familiar faces that it pulls in. Like um obviously one of the other big talking points besides her, obviously, is Thomas Brody Sankster, Jojen Reed himself from Game of Thrones, as um what's it called? As a uh, Ollie, right? That's that's the kid. No, sorry, Otis is her um her other chess playing friend, but other people uh, Ma- fa- director, Mariel Heller, uh, who directed famously um what's it called the Mr. Rogers movie, Tom Hanks movie last year, a beautiful day in the neighborhood stars as her, um, as her adoptive mother, Alma, and is mm. incredible in it. Um, what's it called? Also, she was great. Again, yeah. I, but also, again, this freaking guy who is all of a sudden came out of nowhere has been in three Netflix properties. Has been incredible in all of them. Harry Melly, Dudley Dursley himself from Harry Potter pops up in this as, um, ironically enough, the character's name is also Harry, as one of the first big guys that she beats in episode two and then comes back in episode five in order to try and console her and coach her through chess. I'm like, what the hell? First of all, when did... I mean, I always figured he was a good actor because most British actors are good, but I'm like, first of all, where did this guy come from, like, just out of nowhere? And when did he become, like, a fantastic, like, I'm talking, like, Oscar-caliber actor just overall? And... Yeah, I'm just like, first of all, this cast, in addition to being great, like, they're all so rich and withheld, but at the same time, you know everything that there is to know about them. And the other thing that I'm glad that this show does, just as far as plot-wise, is I'm glad the show is obviously very kind of deep and dark about what it wants its subject matter to be, but the thing that I appreciated is that it doesn't need feel the need to go the excessive route, which I think is something that we take for granted kind of a lot now, mostly just because we've become so desensitized to the content that we watch. But for me, the most interesting aspect about this was how it tackled her kind of obsession with chess as what it is, which is an addiction, and use that as the physical metaphor for the crisis that she's going through, which is not over-glamorized, is not over-glorified, but at the same time just kind of feels presented for what it is, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, I mean, I do have to uh, backtrack a bit, though, because you kind of said something along the lines of how I would interpret it as it didn't feel um, uh, super uh, hyper-Hollywood, in a sense. Like, uh, it didn't have that Sorkin-esque courtroom moment where everyone stands up and cheers. I felt like it did it sometimes, though. I I do disagree with you a little bit, but it wasn't annoying in the sense where, like, in a heavy courtroom drama, you know, there's just random applause out of nowhere. It didn't kind of take you out of the moment as much, and I felt like it was more tasteful in its execution. But it did feel a little more Hollywood than, uh, you know, some other things that I have watched on Netflix before, but where I think it benefited from that in the sense was it's, uh, A kind of like a rock star of the day type story where she's like a crazy good chess player living this wild life you would never expect the chess player to live. So the over embellishing of her habits and and the way they even drew the whole addiction thing into play felt so organic and natural because quite literally she always grew up on you know tranquilizers and it's kind of before she had the ability to say no to it. It was drugs were forced upon her. So it does, the way they do go on to show that there are some moments where I'm like, all right, I feel some movie magic, but it was magical where sometimes it isn't. Sometimes it's annoying and sometimes it's either a little too Netflix or a little too Sorkin. And I love Sorkin, so I don't want to throw him too much under the rug. There's only one or two things so far that I've seen of his that don't quite resonate with me. So don't go thinking I'm like this big Sorkin hater. It's just the example that comes to mind. But uh, so I do have to disagree with you a little bit there, but 
it, it was passable though. It was it was actually lovable. I would go as far as to say. No, I'm actually glad that you brought that up because you're right. You actually phrased it way better than I hope than I probably did, which is that again, it, it has kind of the Hollywood natures of it. But again, like you said, they actually they knew what they were doing as far as that goes because the idea of kind of. The idea, the idea of everyone saying, oh, everything needs to be realistic now. We can't, like, have any of that movie mumbo-jumbo bullshit. And I'm like, no, because there's still a lot of Hollywood tropes that we enjoy, that we like from our stories. And this move, this show had that in spades. Number one being, it's structure-wise, if you if you take, if you strip away everything that kind of makes this enhanced, it's a sports movie. It has the very classic sports <laughs> movie structure. It has it does. the, what, what it has, in addition to, obviously, just that traditional structure, is it has this incredible backstory for this character that feels so transformative and informative and at, while at the same time just so necessary to the character but I'm just glad that you brought that up because let, let, let's break this down structure wise so episode one obviously is her origin kind of what happens she's found after her mom dies in a car crash is rescued sent to this orphanage where she ends up befriending this janitor who teaches her how to play chess and it's kind of her dealing with the trials and um, what's it called ins and outs of the orphanage but this episode is obviously very very important in showing kind of the beginnings of her addiction as as you said kind of them forcing her on the tranquilizers then episode two takes place years later she's adopted by Mariel Heller and uh, her adoptive dad, Mariel Heller's husband, just walks out on them. And after kicking ass in a couple of chess tournaments at school, basically, um, what's it called? Her mom or, or her or Alma arranges for her to start participating in tournaments. That causes the next sequence of the next couple of episodes where she starts playing in tournaments across the across the globe. Episode three, she meets a couple more people in Vegas. Episode four, she's in Mexico City. Unfortunately, at the end of episode four is a tragedy where Alma dies of an unknown of of a disease, of what hepatitis that they were both unaware of. Then episode five, she returns home and uh, what's it called and starts prepping for this gigantic match against um, what's it called against the uh, uh, the best Russian chess player, uh, Vasily Borgov, uh, with help from uh, re- recently returned Harry, who tries to coach her on chess. But by this point, this is when she starts to get into like a little bit of her too big for her britches phase, the kind of the beginning of like the downward spiral that I feel like a lot of people have been through. And that's the part that I feel like, I'm not going to say resonated, but was definitely kind of the most intriguing for me just as far as that went. Because to me, what the show did so well kind of first and foremost as far as its pre- presentation of its themes and how the... Uh, metaphorical construction of the character is is presented so well through chess is the idea of kind of the addiction to the rush, you know? Because that's the thing that I don't think enough people talk about, and I think that's something that's still... Hollywood is start, and just storytellers in general is starting to scratch the surface of it, but I don't. But this is kind of the first thing that I've seen that's really done that well, which is the idea of we've seen addiction stories... To, like to, to the noose up, up to the noose like at this point you know look we've seen every different types about drugs alcohol just everything but this is the first time that we've kind of just seen the rush of it presented which again the thing that I'm not a big fan of addiction stories in general is how I, again we just recently saw this with Ron with another absolute disaster of a Netflix experiment that being Ron Howard's Hillbilly Elegy hmm. oh that movie but <laughs> uh, that movie was literally the complete opposite from this property as far as the type of addiction story that it presented. But literally what this property did is it showed kind of, it showed the addiction obviously and it showed the origin for it as far as setting up the empathy that we feel towards that character. But then what this show does, I feel right that almost every other addiction story does wrong is it does not go into the over glorification and the kind of the need to smother us in feeling bad for this character. Rather, it presents the story naturally in the natural direction that it would go. And when it comes time for the addiction to kind of start weighing down on her, it's so well presented in the sense of 
in 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 the sense of like she you in, in the sense of how the addiction comes from the rush and the feeling that comes from the victory you know that surge of adrenaline and just endorphins that come from it you know where a lot of the time with addiction you don't realize it until it's too late that's part of the reason why it's such a pressing problem and so pe- so many people are just incapable of understanding that feeling until they've actually experienced it themselves and by that point it's like no we can't turn back we want more and we see that obviously with Beth Beth by the time she gets a little bit of the taste of that win obviously it starts off as like oh cool you're like kind of good at this you know you should obviously keep going because you're good at it but then by the time we get to like episode 5 6 in the last episode she's like oh yeah I'm completely unstoppable and to the point where it started to like drive everyone around her away and she's literally like, yeah, I'm just like, what, what else do I have besides chess? Like, that's why I'm just going to get drunk literally all day when I'm not playing chess because, you know, fuck, what else do I have to offer, you know? Yeah. And that's really tragic when you think about it, but that's actually really prevalent because that's kind of something that I feel like just a lot of addicts in general feel like. They feel just, obviously, self-esteem is a tremendous part of it, but and just everyday life in general, but just the idea of kind of feeling, oh, I have nothing to offer of value just in general outside of this. And so when we find that one thing that we're good at, we're like, oh my God, I have to stick to this. Even sometimes at the cost of like, well, their, like you know, your own personal health and such. It's a nice dichotomy in regards to being an addict, her being a chess player because she's so fixated on it. It's, it's almost like a, it's a second drug, you know, she can't get enough of it for better or for worse. We see her early on turn down normalcy in regards to when she's hanging out with sort of the popular girls at school, right? She finally garners enough acclaim in the chess world to get invited to their little frat type uh, or fraternity type of event. And while she's there, you know, she, she went because she thought it might be something that she would enjoy, but she realizes it's taking time away from her playing chess. I mean, literally the still I pulled up right now, she would steal chess papers from the drugstore to go home and study the chess magazine because she couldn't afford it. But she was so addicted to this habit that she would do anything to get more of it. And, you know, you kind of have been speaking a lot about how well the show pulls the trigger on all of this and how well the show paints the picture. And I agree with that. And and here's why I kind of think I agree with all of that. It kind of goes back to our argument about the, um, our section of the show about the Hollywood moments, right? The reason they weren't corny, the reason they didn't feel played out, because like you said, these are tropes that we've seen time and time and time again, is because of the execution. I mean, this show is so well paced out. We got to see so much of her life and granted it was a short life but I mean we start literally when she's nine years old and we get to spend so much time with so many different portions of her life in a limited series which means there's only so much time we have to spend to begin with with this character but it never felt like anything was missing and so as one executed one episode was executed perfectly it just set the stage for the next one to layer on top of it in such a complimentary way that i really have not seen a show work on this level dealing with so much that it has in such a long time i mean think about it we're balancing not only just addiction not only just being abandoned by your family we're also you know, dealing with the struggle of being a woman back in that time, being sort of a woman in a man's world and nothing feels left out and nothing feels stepped on by the storytellers. Because this is a, if you guys watch this, I know a few of you in the chat said you haven't seen it yet. I really recommend you watch it. They cram a lot into this series and not every episode's an hour. There's actually three or four that clock in at like 46, 47 minutes. Sure. The finale is, I think 107, maybe 105 if you cut the credits, but like you would expect them to at least be seven hour long episodes and they're not but yet they so perfectly paint in the portrait that portrait that is beth and it's 
it's really just the pacing, the filmmaking, honestly, because it all boils down to just masterful filmmaking. And, uh, you know, like you said, you didn't check out Godless. You might go check it out. I think I'm going to find a rainy day and watch that at this point because I really haven't seen something like this uh, masterful in a, in a limited series on Netflix either in such a long time. That's another keyword there, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh, man. Like, dude took the words right out of my mouth pretty much as far as everything goes yeah like 1000% agree with everything that you're saying I'm actually really glad that you brought up kind of the idea of the setting because that's something that I feel like not enough people are going to be talking about as far as the show goes because the idea that this show is a cold war show and you almost forget about that until you are until you are reminded to me I didn't realize until the last episode when you're like oh she's going to to Moscow to play and the US is sending an agent with her giving her specific instructions dude I'm like oh shit this is a cold war show and there's obviously just kind of red scares all around and having to deal with still that fear and paranoia state. And I'm like, yeah. and, I, and I'm like, shit. Well, okay then. And the fact that like, again, the, I love it because the show doesn't feel the need to shove that down your throat. Any other show to me would be going out of its way to bang you over the head of the fact of, oh, it's the Cold War and she's got to beat the Russians, which again is something that I feel like would have happened if this had gotten the feature film treatment but because the, the the attention is that that's not what... The, a, that's not what the show is about, and B, because the t- attention is put into where it needs to go as far as what the character does and how everything kind of around her affects her. And if anything, it kind of creates some even more unintentionally hilarious moments, specifically when she's just kind of, you know, when the agent is briefing her on all the things she specifically has to do, and she's kind of questioning, like, kind of her aloof nature allows her to, like, see through, like, some of the little bit of, like, hypocrisies and things that, like, just don't inherently make sense about a time that seemed just overall very nonsensical in hindsight, overall, just that entire era but i'm really glad that you brought up the idea of a woman in a man's world because that's something that just again like the show balanced perfectly in those first couple of episodes and the thing that i liked about that too is because that's not necessarily something that was exclusive to beth that was something that was very very also much a part of uh, alma's character as well and alma i have to give a lot of credit for because that character ended up becoming one of my favorites just with everything that she did all of her little mannerisms the fact that kind of in her last couple of moments and, and it is sad considering the fact that the that the precious few amount of time that we get with her is her last bout of, of life before she dies a very unfortunate unexpected and tragic ending in that episode four like i was that was one of the few moments where i'm like oh shit i'm legitimately shocked at this but it was just so satisfying to kind of see like someone experience true happiness and freedom in a time that again could not have been more averse to that specifically when it came to the opposite sex and um that was just obviously very refreshing to see it kind of how that played in- <coughs> sorry how that played into Beth's overall thing but bringing it back to the addiction angle to me I think that another kind of subtle sneaky thing that the show was playing around with was the idea of obviously Beth kind of deals with her fair share of celebrity in this show and that's kind of another subtle metaphor slash jab that the show was taking with the idea of kind of just celebrity what comes with it but also kind of the idea of you know we heard rumors about all these different types of literary and just general geniuses you know obviously the most obvious ones being you know Lewis Carroll was a famous schizophrenic Edgar Allan Poe well-known alcoholic and drug addict you know kind of the idea of playing around with just talent and not necessarily where it comes from, but what fuels it in the longest period of time. You know, Hollywood itself is known for, like, having decades upon decades of, like, just child abuse and being fueled by drug abuse. And obviously, the longest-running joke of the 80s and 90s is that, like, every great crazy movie idea came from just the amount of cocaine that they were doing, you know? And so the idea that this show kind of plays around with that, with the idea of, I like that the tranquilizers, they come in and out. They they never make that the direct cause. They really do make it just about Beth herself, which again is the 
smartest, most fucking brilliant thing that the show did. Mm -hmm. Kind of showing that, like, at the point where she's at, where the show ends, it's not necessarily specifically the pills. It's much more so about just the latest thrill that she's seeking. You know, obviously that turns to alcohol when she can't sublet it with chess, you know, and that's something, again, it's, those are the things that you don't see in those kind of more traditional stories that I feel like they need to do as far as, you know, making sure that these types of stories can still continue to be told because they are still, in addition to being just well done stories, just extremely relevant as far as that goes. Yeah, totally. And it's, you know, when it's not the alcohol, it's sort of the next fling relationship or it's, you know, the fashion, the endless buying, the shopaholic nature of her. It's just always, she's always trying to fill a void. And I think what they actually really do well is sort of intercut the reason for that being those flashbacks with her mother, who we didn't see too much of, but obviously she had a very horrific upbringing. I mean, her mom literally told her to close her eyes as she went into a head-on collision so she's a survivor but it doesn't come without a cost and I think they do a really good job of of sort of drawing like I said earlier a dichotomy between that and even with chess you know what what is chess really it's it's about surviving the longest is the way that I I got from it you know it's like okay so they might have taken your pawn but how can you get their next pawn and it's the irony of using the word pawn because she sometimes feels like a pawn to all these people around her but also she's her own worst enemy because these people around her sometimes have good intentions, but she's so guarded and she's so complicated. Like, like really this story is so complicated in a beautifully cinematic and, and, and coherent way because it's, it's so well executed as well that it's just a very enjoyable experience that you just get wrapped up in. Cause at the end of the day, like chess is the backdrop to this amazing character drama. And, and I would even say a coming of age story, although I don't know. I feel like the jury might be a little out on that based on like stylistically how we kind of quickly get I'd to her agree, adulthood. I'd agree that that's a coming of age story. Most definitely. It's hard to put one thing on this show though, because it's, it's got so much going on in it and it's, yeah, it's just one of those like beautifully messy, you, you wouldn't, I wouldn't think this would work if someone pitched this idea to me. I'd be like, dude, there's like a lot going on there. You, you cut, cut some things back, come back to me in like six months, give it some revision and we might fund your film. But, uh, no, this is, uh, <laughs> this is the best kind of messy I've seen in a very long time. Damn, I'd say I wouldn't even apply that term to this because I'm like everything that it hit, it's like it just it works. Messy, because, messy again, in the as, sense of who she is and how and okay. how expertly right. and how expertly they disseminate that across the story in such a clean way. But you look at this person and you almost think you'd get confused writing something this complex and this deep. You know that that's yeah. what I'm trying it's, to say. It's one of those things that just myself as a writer, I'm like, I, I watch this and I'm like, fuck, I hope I can write something half as good <laughs> as this someday. Mean. Like, Jesus. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you've, been writing, you've been writing songs a lot longer than I have just in general, so you know that, you know, you know, yeah. you know, you know that This struggle. is a testament <laughs> to creative expression, 100%. I couldn't agree with that yeah, more. I'm, I'm actually glad that you brought that up, kind of the whole creative expression argument, because that is something that I wanted to touch on just a little bit. This is probably going to go into like a little bit of sensitive topic areas. Uh, for you, so it, obviously, if I'm probing over the line, you'll have to let me know. But <laughs> okay, it was something that well, it was something that I had written down, kind of just as far as obviously, you know, we talked a lot what feels like eons ago on our social network episode, kind of the idea of why is it that a majority of like the major, major successful people are assholes and kind of what goes with that. But this show kind of presented. And I'm actually really glad that it did because this is the first thing that I've seen that kind of presents an alternative approach to that argument. Whereas the lo- for the longest time, Hollywood only wanted to think, okay, you know, the, the, all the good people that have good intentions will never make it as far as the people who only care about themselves and are selfish as far as their ambitions go with this. But this show takes the approach of, okay, well, what happens when someone is almost 
not unaware because she's very much because she becomes very much aware of her talent overall, but kind of aloof to just reality in general. And the idea of kind of immersing herself in this world so much that kind of reality literally takes a back seat. You know, if that makes any sense, it kind of it does. Yeah, kind of if, if, if it's possible to kind of maintain that balance when pursuing something like this, you know, just just this much, you know. Like, like if it's possible to maintain that balance, just just from a creative standpoint, you know. Again, it's it's an, it's a worthwhile question. I feel like asking. It is, and I think it's so interesting to explore a realm which I mean, I never thought this type of stardom ever existed in. Apparently, chess. I mean, like anything else, has its telling me has its mega stars and its fame that that comes with it. So chess sets are seeing a higher sale now than they ever have before. I bet they are. I, good, more power they to are. them. They are. Like multiple multiple sites have stated that like highest chess sales we've seen in like years. Wow, that's amazing. Good, that's good. I mean, hey, maybe we'll have some smarter <laughs> yeah. people coming up uh, than we do yeah, right, right now. Yeah, thinking man's game. So, but uh, yeah, no, there might be hope yet. No, I think um, rephrase rephrase your question again, real quick. Basically, the idea of is it possible kind of to be this good at something without kind of losing touch with kind of why you started to get good something original. I mean, Betts is a unique case because Betts, one half of it is born out of trauma. The other right. half of it, trauma and escape, but the other half of it is born out of genetics because her mother, in addition to being, I believe her mother was confirmed to be a schizophrenic, even though they never directly mentioned it on the show. Also, just being the subject of genius because like her mom was like a well-known like uh, college professor and came from money and everything and just obviously clearly had a mental break from reality of sorts and we see that reflect on Beth but I'm wondering if again because it, it just obviously not to this extent but it's just kind of a recurring thing that we've seen kind of over and over again when it comes to these sorts of like you know passion or like pursuing your passion stories you know by the time the person gets to kind of that height like I was actually just listening to a couple podcasts talking about Eddie Murphy recently with that and kind of how the disappointing thing about Eddie Murphy's career is that he's got that unstoppable stretch in the 80s from 82 mm -hmm. to 84 with 48 hours trading places in Beverly Hills Cop. And by the time he comes out with Beverly Hills Cop 2 in 87, after he's done Raw and Delirious, he's already like to this level of stardom that not even like five years ago he was just struggling to get. And by that point, it's like, okay, he's like not even interacting with the real people that help contribute to what it is that made that stardom like a thing, you know? So I'm just like kind of wondering, like, that, that, that may have like kind of screwed up the original intent of my question, but kind of like, I feel like no, that's I'm a good. That, yeah, I feel like that's a good argument to like kind of back up my point. Yeah, it's like a Justin Bieber, like one day he's a nobody, then the next day he wakes up to like 100 million YouTube plays and he's got all these offers and his whole life just gets flipped upside down. It's, uh, you know, it's one of those things where I think, unfortunately, while I don't know anyone who's humble that is at a level of prominence, which I, I mean, I know a few people, I'm not going to drop names, but... Um, I think there are actual genuine good souls who just work hard for what they have. I think Beth is not a good example of that, though, because like you said, there is a trauma there already that sort of takes her a little bit out of, I'd say, a reality that you and I might have, aside from the fact that she's literally been dosed since she was a child of apparently tranquilizers, which, I mean, so that's pretty, intense pretty, and strong. That's, that's powerful stuff. That's not like... That, that, that's like yeah, not quite the level of ketamines, but it's like almost, which I'm like, yeesh, that's something that I'm like, yeah. wow, okay, you take, nowadays, obviously, that's so, that's one of those things where it's like, yeah, you take that, you're like, that's that's, that, that's kind of like picking your own poison as far as that goes, but like back in the day, and those kids were like medicated on that stuff, I'm like, Jesus Christ, no wonder. Right, no, it's not okay, so I think she's a bad 
example, but I, I really do think that there are people, though, who are humble and who are, you know, normal that have just reached a large level of success. I think it kind of depends on a lot of factors, like who you surround yourself with. And in the case of Beth, I think she actually turned more into the person you're inquiring about as she went on and traveled more and met people who sort of helped normalize her worldview and, and who extended a hand when she clearly needed it. And also when she clearly pushed the hand away, they were sort of unrelenting. Like, especially if we want to get more specific towns at the end, sort of instead of, and I guess it was a bit ambiguous. Did they, um, you know, sort of sleep together that night that he stayed in her hotel hotel room or not either way he did rally the troops and give her some much needed moral support as she was trying to be sober she got that phone call and it was all of her old friends in that apartment in new york city giving her strategy in the morning and not that i think they helped with the strategy right i think what helped was them reaching out and being there with her even though they weren't there in person so she's kind of like a reverse case she got to where i think you're inquiring about because of the people around her who saw a misguided soul. But to answer your question, I do think there are good people who achieve high levels of success. I don't know, but I got to believe they're out there because I'd like to think that would be you and I, if this thing goes the way we hope. So, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely. It, it, it's just, it's nice. It's nice to know. And it's one of those things where I'm like, Oh, I just yeah. see constant examples to like show that that might not necessarily be the case. But again, I digress because I don't want to make judgments, <laughs> past judgments on people that I don't know or yeah. don't or not know about. But with, with, with all mm -hmm. that being said, kind of, yeah, I, I think the thing to take away from this overall is yeah. Thing that an actual piece of quality cinema with good story, good characters, an actual thought-provoking message that's well-constructed, amazingly well-crafted, incredibly paced, and coming from Netflix of all places that exists in the year 2020. I think that it's safe to say that we could be grateful for just something like that existing. Certainly going to be interesting to see where this show falls on both of our top 10 lists of TV shows for the end of the year because, I mean, I don't want to spoil yeah. anything, but I think it's safe to assume that this is going to be on both of our lists. But uh, yeah, as far as Tune kind of wrapping up and final points go. <laughs> yes, indeed. And coming That's in January, saying, two months, because holy fuck, this goddamn year is you, almost uh, over. Thank God. But yeah, go for it. As far as final, but as far as final thoughts go, yeah, Queen's Gambit, complete unexpected uh, successful surprise as far as I, as far as it goes. And again, it's it's very hard, obviously, increasingly in the age of the internet, to be surprised by anything. So the fact that something like this can exist and come out of nowhere and be as popular as it is, again, only on Netflix. But this is the one time where. I'll allow it because of how good this thing really yeah. was. Uh, I highly recommend it because it's one of the very rare things that I can say almost anyone can get something out of. You might come out of it enjoying the chess. You might come out of it just saying, hey, that was just a really, really awesome watch. I know a couple of guys at work who went back and watched this thing like three or four times. Like, what? Mm. Three or four times? I, I barely have enough time to get through this once. Like, how are you able to do this three or four times? Like, goddamn. That shows the overall impact this has. Um, Again, not perfect because I think there are certain points where I'm like, okay, this could have been a little tight and if I had one nitpick, I'd say that the long episodes do feel really long. And it could have been like, okay, you could have trimmed this here, could have spread this out a little bit better here. But again, that is a nitpick. It's not an overall statement on the quality overall of this show. So this show gets a big four and a half out of five stars from me. Yeah, fair enough. I think I can agree with that. I think that while the pacing of the overall narrative and the way they push the character forward through multiple aspects of her life, sort of enriching each experience as the episodes progress, because it does go chronologically, I, I do think that sometimes where we spent time in an apartment store looking at dresses, we might have had maybe a little more one-on-one -on -one character moments or, or things like that. So you can't hate it too much, though, because like 
the enrichment of this era that I really lately have been exploring uh, in regards to music and and you know film like um just like watching old movies and whatnot like i recently watched uh, 12 angry men and just sort of like trying to like get Ooh. get get my head in the mind of uh people wearing suits just because they want to look nice all the time it seems like a nice time to be from and we're not there anymore you know there's sweatpants that cost $50 just because they're a little tighter around the legs now uh it, it is nice and it does kind of like make you long for for better days and and I think they really built a world that felt lived in and felt real. So while I do agree with you on that, I can't give it a five star because I agree with you on that. That just wouldn't be honest. But I also can't give it a four star review. So it's uh, it's a 4.5 as well. This is I was swept off my feet by this thing, man. It, it just knocked me out for a whole day and pleasantly so because yeah. I don't regret binging this thing on, on a Saturday at all. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, dev- well, one of the best things to have come out of this year easily. Again, both within yeah. film and TV, because at this point, the two are literally synonymous with each other. It's something that I've been saying for a while now, and it seems that that is finally starting to come to pass. It'll definitely be interesting to see how this bodes for the future of just everything in general. Oh, man, look at those eyes. Like Those are some piercing eyes right there. Like Every time I see Anya Taylor-Joy, even in things where she's like supposed to be innocent, like Glass in the beginning of Thoroughbreds, not Glass, Split in the beginning of Thoroughbreds, it's like, mm. damn, like... Those eyes always feel like they're like piercing right through me. Like they can see everything, you know? Like if you like, remember yeah. the witch? Remember the first time when you watched the witch? You're like, yeah. oh shit, like is this girl a witch? And she's like totally super chill and cool. But at the same time, you're like, there's something that is up about that demeanor, you know? Like, you know like what it is? Said, she's one she, of those she sells that, it with her body. She sells it, man. Yeah. She's one of those actresses that like, she's 25 but at the same time, I would completely buy if she was like a thousand years old, you know, because she just has that <laughs> presence to her. You know, she's got yeah. that age old sense of experience with relatively actual little experience. And th- th- it's, it's, again, it's a rare quality and it makes it, it makes her yeah. a rare type of actress. So people with that being said, thank you for tuning in to once again to another episode of the Talking TV podcast. We have new content that we put up every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Our new podcast episodes will release live on Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And also, people, we've been doing a recap show of The Mandalorian Season 2. It's been going very, very well, I would like to say. We have three episodes left uh, there on Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, so be sure to tune in. We're going to have, hopefully, a lot more to talk about as the weeks go on, in addition to this past week where we also had a lot to talk about. Uh, If you want to keep getting all of this new amazing content from us, just go to our YouTube page, talking tv and subscribe you can click that subscribe button and the notification bell next to it and in addition you could also click the like on this individual video and uh, leave a comment let us know what your thoughts are on our content if you have any suggestions any ideas for new content just so your own personal thoughts again i've been having a lot of fun reacting to comments because it's something that i did on like two videos back in the day and now i'm getting to do that with like every video and i very 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 much enjoy that and you should especially get some extra incentive because of how dope that fucking banner is that Chris designed again. It literally like I mean, Chris, you you've got to be you've got to be a, a Rising Sun fan. I, I probably fucked up the name of that song, but uh, because I always oh, screw House up the name of the Rising song. Sun. But there we go, exactly. So you you know what I'm talking about because I like I don't know if you had that in mind when you were designing that Sun logo, but like it definitely feels like that was definitely an influence. But um, <laughs> yeah, uh. Yeah, well, hey guys, look, uh, Chris, like that little have... prompt says, subscribe now because this thing's growing. Last we pulled this up, it was at 137. Now it's 145, four days later. So we appreciate that a lot. That's huge.
Thank you so yeah, much. It, it means and uh, it means so much. And of course, you can always love to see oh, no, new comments in the chat, new friendly faces, as well as some old faces who have been around for a little while now, like Jay, who says, "Check out Judy: The Story of Judy Garland." I checked it out. It was okay. S- seen it's, it. Good movie. It's a good period good piece, but it has pitfalls. But that's you know. It made me think of this, though. I did think of Judy at least one point while watching this, so it got a mention in my mind. And yeah, uh, yeah good yeah. example. Jay, I'd be curious for you to see if you still hold true to that after you watch this, because I think there is a quality difference. But again, guys, we love discussing with you in the comments. Um, thank you for being there. We hope you guys continue to have a good holiday season. Again, we have uh, audio versions as well, real quick. Let's uh, let's talk about that real quick, because I want to yes, get those definitely. numbers. We, we have back on track we have audio versions of the podcast that we put up on spotify and apple podcast through our anchor subscription service they go up live well not live in audio form every wednesday morning 5 a.m wednesday mornings you can listen to it on your commute to work you can listen to it when you run you can just listen to it when you're bored and have nothing to do you can listen to it when you shave i listen to podcasts at work it's great because i can just put my headphones on and just grind away like an hour two hour long podcast and it helps make the time pass by and uh, we just read some of our recent episodes we just put out our toy story 25 year anniversary watch long as well as the discussion on one of chris's favorite new shows from this show apple tv plus's ted lasso and again we've still got five weeks left in the year people so if you think that we're going to be winding down from content you are sadly mistaken this is technically even though this is recorded on the last day of december we've still got a full month left to go we've still got plenty of content to give to you guys both from the podcast front from the from the weekly watch along front to the review front to the top 10 front to maybe a little bit something extra that we have cooking up if you want to stay up to date on all of the new content that we have going on, you can simply follow us on our social media platforms, Facebook and Instagram, at Talkin TV, at Talkin TV Podcast, no G. And uh, Chris, without further ado, can I do my thing? Uh, I would be remiss if I told you not to. Watch more fucking movies and TV, in this case, people, especially TV. We out. We out.